0: We are here to talk about keeping brands in cities. So the pandemic has shifted uh, the market for big name occupiers. Uh, you know, changing work patterns are prompting many to take a step back and, and reassess how their needs have changed in relation to the pandemic. Um, no, in the premises, sorry, not the pandemic. Um, occupiers have become more shrewd about where they want to locate to, and that can involve you know, a lot of factors like demographics, um, economic growth trajectories, costs or, or infrastructure. Um, what are the key offerings that attract occupiers to big cities, and how can regional cities compete uh, with the lure of London? Um, here to help us uh, dig into those questions today... Um, is our panel of experts. Uh, so joining me on stage are Katrina kostic samen uh, Head of Workplace Strategy and Design at KKS Savills, um, Mike Bevan, uh, next to me, Director and Global um, Automation Leader at Arup, and Jessica Bowles, Director of Strategy at Bruntwood. It's great to have you all here. Um, I'd like to start by coming to you first, um, Michael. So it's a a bit of a a slight departure from the the norm today, um, as Arup is sort of here in an occupier uh, capacity too. And and so for a bit of uh, context for those of us who don't know, uh, Arup recently decided to... Uh, relocate one of its biggest uh, global offices uh, to Birmingham, where it will invest um, in a development uh, measuring nearly 2 million square feet. Uh, and, promisingly, the scheme is called paradise. So, um, talk us through that decision. I mean, what, uh, what, why does Arup see its paradise in, in Birmingham?
1: What, what's, what was the draw uh, for Birmingham? Well, it's it's quite an interesting process. Uh, We have offices in several regions of the the UK, obviously, and globally, obviously. Uh, And as an occupier, we have 6,000 employees in in the UK and 3,000 in London. Um, So the the regional offices are very big offices. Um, And two offices, Edinburgh and uh, Birmingham, previous world campus, um, are moving from um, suburban, uh, or even further out suburban offices, uh, where the offices they occupied were very low carbon, naturally ventilated, very sustainable in themselves, um, into city centres. So Edinburgh is moving into the centre of Edinburgh. Um, campus moving into the centre of Birmingham. And it is for the broader context of of people their mental health, their connection with community, uh, their access to, to things that are not just the office. And so it is broadening, I think, of understanding of, of our people and, and uh, uh, how how what they need from their workplace, what they need um, to be uh, fulfilled, nourished, and to have a a, a satisfying a, a sort of work work um, Life balance. It, it moves, of course. People have arranged their own commute patterns to be car based from these suburban offices. And now it's changing to being a different uh, transport mode. It's a really interesting shift. And people will move house, they will do that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's that, it's that uh, you know, quintessentially it's has been part of the community of designers, clients, you know, um, and, and also uh, being people connected to the city for entertainment, you know, lunchtime activities, gyms, all those sort of things that were provided artificially out in the suburban environments, but are now becoming a uh, city. And that's, with that my other hat on as a, a designer for uh, clients, this is also uh, something that they're, they're reflecting on, how to draw people to work, get them back from the pandemic, how to make them... Uh, want to go to a vibrant place, a place they really enjoy being and to meet other people because we we will, I'm sure we'll, we'll agree, people like being with people and that is a massive driver.
0: That makes sense. I mean, it, the, what you've sort of touched on just now, it sort of draws to mind the sort of uh, concept of the 15-minute uh, neighbourhood or the 15-minute city almost. I mean... Uh, y- you know that's often been described as you know the sort of uh, ideal urban planning model and, and really the blueprint the blueprint for uh, future proofing um offices i mean would could you argue that um you know that kind of model would work better in regional cities than say you know b- the big cities like london or oh,
1: the, the 50 minute city also has people living in that 50 minute zone mm. so it, we are we are still in a commuting zone commuting mode for most of those cities, it's a shorter, a much shorter commuting mode for a lot of those cities. Um, but when you then take the car out the mix, because these city centre developments don't have the car parking, and that's it's m- moving to a mode of public transport and, and again, a, a more sustainable approach from that point of view. So, But they're still commuting. There, there is a, an element of the 50-minute city, but it's more the kind of connectivity with things to do other people and so forth, rather than the living bit at the moment. That will change. Um, and again, the concentration of, of res- resid developments in the city centres um, is also very welcome, and, and that shift will come in the longer term. But it's a longer term drift in, in sort of our, our kind of view as an occupier.
0: I see. I um, see. Jessica, I saw you nodding nodding along there. Um, what, what is your view? Um, you know, from the, the sort of landlord perspective.
2: So, um, we, Bruntwood, for, for those who don't know us, um, we're commercial developers uh, working across the northern cities and in the Midlands. We don't do London at this stage, um, but we do have, we're very deep in the cities that, that we're in. Um, and actually, as you were talking about the 15 minute city, I was thinking about my experience of Manchester, and you can walk basically anywhere in the city centre um, in 15 minutes. And so, you, you sort of quite naturally have that in the size of the cities that we've got. Um, outside, uh, uh, around the, the North and Midlands in, in the UK. And so that does give you that opportunity to create that very dense area of jobs and housing and amenity and life that people want to, to live. Um, so I, I do think there's, a, there's an opportunity there. And, and I'm sure we'll come back on to questions about patterns and how people are, are occupying space and, and why they're wanting to come back to the cities. Later, so I'll, I'll let you <laughs> ask your question. <laughs> no, that's all
0: good. I mean, just before we do um, move mm. on to that, I mean, um, what's the sort of you know from the landlord's mm. per- per- perspective? How do you go about um, you know engaging big brands and bringing those um, big names to to regional cities?
2: So I mean, we've we've just developed um, Circle Square, which is right in the heart of um, Manchester's university district, the old BBC site. Um, uh, very nice grade A office space developed around with higher levels of amenity, nice green space in the centre. Now that was that was ready to go pre-pandemic or coming through um, during the pandemic and you might have wor- worried that you wouldn't get um, large organisations wanting to take large amounts of space in your city centres. And actually the opposite's been true. We've we've done really well at filling that space with big brands. rocco have come from, from the States, wanting to kind of have that second um, either European location or second UK location. Um, and seeing the cities as a really attractive offer because you've got a great talent pool. You've got people who live close by. They've got a buzz to these places. And you can also... Um, properly land in a city where you can create the connections, you can get to know other businesses, um, and you're part of a, a community really quickly. And so I think there's something um, very attractive for some of those large organisations wanting to come and um, uh, set up within the UK, set up um, offices within within the regional cities. They, they find that um, connectedness um, really attractive. I think we also need to remember that the UK is not very big. <laughs> and so if you're coming from, from somewhere, you know, if you're coming from the States, actually the, the, the distances between London and Manchester and Manchester and the other cities are, are very, very small. Um, and, you know, they are, they are well-located places with, with great talent pools.
0: Um, and K- Katrina, um, with your sort of background in, in design and, and architecture, can you sort of talk us through the importance of space in creating um, attractive places for, for occupiers um, you know, across the regions and how that can be harnessed?
3: Thank you. Um, as far as the architecture and the design, is it first of all you have to attract the names? and the offices to the city centre, so otherwise there wouldn't be anything for us to design. So going back to the earlier conversations, um, we're currently working with a large fashion house, and the question is, why do you need to be in London if actually you actually sell online? And they said, yes, but we're also a multi-channel business. We do have bricks and mortar, we do have wholesale, and we do have online. And really, they want the physical presence. They call it their beacon, their temple, They want to attract the brand and it's partly the talent, they want to make sure that they've got the best talent and the cities draw the best talent by far. Um, But they also, um, which I hadn't actually appreciated, they have buyers that come four times a year for the seasons and in fact the buyers come from all over the world and they want to come to a great place in order to have a great experience. And so four times a year, the buyers will come. And they won't come if they're stuck somewhere out in in the middle of nowhere. They want to be in the city center. They want to see what other people are doing, wearing, feeling, behaving. So they might do the sort of work by day. But also then by night, they can walk the streets. They can see what other people are, are, are all about. So it's all about the experience, about people coming. So it's partly the talent. It's partly the accessibility. Again, how easy is it for me to get there? And then it's definitely the experience. Mike,
1: please. <laughs> oh, yes, in there. um, something else actually in this conversation, and what Jessica was saying about 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 place, um, and it was the previous panel was about regional investment with with very strong representatives from Liverpool and Cardiff and so forth. Um, and I think one of the re- one of the reasons to to be in a city centre is to identify with place, to be proudly part of that place, um, and that that's very different in different regions. I worked in in Cardiff office for several years, and that sense of being part of the community that builds the city, creates the city, um, cannot really be so intimate if you're. 20 miles out and you're commuting in to those meetings you want to be part of the city so i think identity and regional identity is is critically important and just to note, one of the competitions we bid was for commonwealth game stadium and part of the question in that was what's your commitment to local business local people local local um, uh, communities and that that was a very strong driver to say look um, cities care about identity we care about identity let's be with them and in the city and not commuting from outside
2: i can uh, um i'd like to add something to that which um we noticed uh as we were coming out of the pandemic we actually saw small businesses and businesses that were headquartered in manchester that had grown up in manchester and our other cities coming back into the city centers quicker than than large brands um, the large brands followed but actually those that connection with place and your sense of identity and um, part of building the city um, drew people back in, really... Um, it, was, it was clearly a factor in driving people back in and bringing people back into the city. And, and actually, it was great to see the larger brands following that um, because, you know, it, it was... I think the jury was slightly out as to what was going to happen around office space, but but it was brilliant to see.
0: Uh, you'd always think that it's the other way around, but, um, but no, it's interesting to see that's the case um and you know in your in your opinion um what part can regional cities play um you know in standing out against london and what can they do to kind of maximize their appeal to sort of the big occupiers could they just say for example could they narrow their focus to investment in in particular in certain industries or you know like tech or or uh, life sciences to create clusters for example i mean do you think that could could be the way forward? I mean, I'm, actually, I'm not sure who to put that question to. I guess, uh, Katrina, <laughs> I'll throw that to you.
3: Our work is actually in London, so um, I'm speaking from just having worked on Paradise with Argent for many, many years. And what they've created there is absolutely fantastic, and it's part of the dream of what they did at King's Cross. But what they were able to do is put investment into the walking and the routes and the flow and calming the traffic down which was really quite a busy, very busy roundabout, uh, sort of no man's land, how to get to. And so by creating the the infrastructure around it and calming it down and putting a lot of time and effort into a sort of slow burn, if you like, to, to build it up, up and up, I think has been the success of Paradise. Um, we're doing work in uh, Cambridge and Oxford. Uh, the universities of Cambridge are very, very keen right now to... It's it's interesting, looking at the higher education, they're going to have to reimagine themselves and draw more on who they are, not the legacy of their history of 500 years or whatever. Because while Cambridge, they may have the legacy, other universities, London, Northampton, wherever, don't have that same brand. And so what they need to do is raise the brand in order to attract the students. So up till now, it's been interesting. They've only focused on the academics or the people that work in the university. But now they have to ask the students, what do you want? And the difficulty with that is because the the life cycle and generation, um, as Michael knows, that it takes, you know, four to eight years to see anything built from when you actually conceive it, um, as you also know, Jessica. And so by the time you actually make that commitment those students will have left, that cohort will have left. But what the pandemic has shown is that all of that is pushed so far forward is that we can now predict pretty much what the students are going to to do. So by studying the 14 to 18-year-olds, which is really the most interesting group is the secondary students, is that you predict what they want. And when you look at what they do today and what they're born with today and the jobs of the future, 85% of the jobs we know today will not exist in 2030. And so you have to be forward-thinking to what that campus is, what the students want. But it's really, um, it's all about the students now. It's actually not about the academics as much.
0: Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's fascinating. Putting, you know, uh, envisaging the, the sort of the future um, of, of the office is, is probably you know, the the key to, it sounds like...
3: It's really about retraining people and those um, either that are in the city centres, residents we're talking about that want to move out or residents that are not trained correctly or, in fact, all of us, actually, quite frankly, in the property world, transactional um, skills will die and advisory consulting will rise. And if you cannot retrain yourself in big data, digitalisation or leadership, you're going to be left behind. Mm. (laughs)
0: What do you make of that, Jessica?
2: (laughs) Well, I always find it absolutely terrifying that I'm going to spend part of my career in the workplace with people who are young with such different skills and such different experience, and there is a lot of retraining um, that's going to have to happen. But I think if we go back to this question about um, what's attractive about regional cities and how can they compete with London, I think, actually, they don't in a way, need to compete with London. They are their own, um, their own attractor and their own magnet. And what we've seen over the last five and 10 years is the, that really, um, the dial really shifting on whether people can create a whole career in regional cities, outside London, whether you have to go to London to have a really successful career or not. And that's about creating more of a critical mass. I think you're right about cities needing to focus on their specialisms, but that shouldn't make them so narrow that you can't do interesting things there. So, you know, if you see somewhere like, uh, you know, Manchester or Leeds or Liverpool, actually they have got quite a broad um, economic base, even though they focus on their specialisms. And and you can create... Um, Good quality jobs in with enough um, depth that means you can move from job to job. You can you can move between those cities, too, which which kind of um, gives you an opportunity to to make a life um, within within the north. And and actually, it's beautiful places to live with really interesting culture and and uh, and, and great things to um, uh, great ways to live. I think.
0: Mike,
1: what do you think? So we, we see the, the specialisms and things like life sciences <laughs> popping up all over the place, including London. So, you know, and the, the, and the, the amount of sort of the gearing that London has make, can be very intense um, sort of specialisms and attractors for career. But um, as Jessica was saying, the lifestyle thing about, about living in regions, I've said I lived in regions for several years, uh, the lifestyle of living in the regions is completely different. It's to offer the, uh, the satisfying career the whole life learning uh, and the mobility a lot of our people in 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 arab move around a lot so you know and i, I started in london and you know, i went to cardiff went to australia came back and you know, all that sort of stuff um so mobility we're encouraging mobility to get people to have a variety of experiences during their working lives and many um, when they get to the regions oh, well, i would rather like this and, and settle and that's fantastic um, uh, we have a flux of people that tend to you know grow in london get the experience and then move out it happens the other way too Quite a lot of our staff come into London, too. So this mobility piece, I think, is really important. And for, uh, if regional cities with their own identities can be part of that mobility of people, I think, is for me, probably unlocks a lot of, lot of, lot of it to be you know, welcoming to lifestyles that are coming from different places so they can have the best of both worlds, or you know, if you like, in the regional place, and a great lifestyle and um, a sort of a, uh, a whole-life career that is strong and enriching, which we all know is, is entirely possible. I think it's making that point to people.
0: Um, it would be remiss of me, um, I suppose, um, given your tech experience, Mike, not to bring in, um, you know, uh, some, some questions around tech. So, you know, in your, in your opinion, how does tech um, factor in uh, to the equation and, you know, how important is, you know, technological experience in, in building the, the workplace of the future?
1: Well, the workplace the future is now here, of course it is. So we have, and I think about people talk about smart buildings and smart cities, but again, the point really is, what's the experience of people? How does it enable them to live better lives, to get the bus on time, not hanging around for half an hour at a bus stop? All those things that are now real and, and, and happening, and people do live their lives a lot, you know, of, of the, at least the, you know, uh, like professional classes and many others, live, live life on their phones, and the apps we have are really enabling and positive and developer clients of, of, of mine are all thinking about what the experience is of being in their building and their, their buildings, the kind of the WeWork experience, but from other developer kind of points of view, all that kind of stuff. But there's also a really, really important piece um, that, that not to miss out those people without a smartphone. So if we're not with an inclusive society to include people that, and building in places that may not be wealthy, not be you know, may have a lot of social um, challenges and demands, is to have not it as the only answer, but as a, an inclusive, holistic answer, so everyone can be part of this, the this, um, change in, in lifestyle and change of, of mobility and, and, and dynamism. And everyone wants that, but it, it's had their accessibility to that. So not to, not to and ironically, as I'm I a mean, global automation leader for Arab, but uh, not to solely rely on data and digital, make it as an enabler, but make it accessible to all. This inclusion piece, I think, is often we kind of miss that little bit that, that um, even those without tech need to be included in and part, part of our answer.
3: If I could just add to that about the demographics, so the huge demographic shift uh, in the ni- next 10 years, uh, we'll see uh, 65 and overs um, being making up about a third of our workforce now. As we all are living longer, we want to do more things longer, we can't afford it economically, um, so the whole generational shift is going to be really important. As you go back to Mike, I think there's a lot of people that will be re-entering the workforce, especially they're the highest proportion of people that want to come back and work in the the office because they want that community and that buzz and meeting people and not be isolated, but they will have to learn a whole new tech world and language, Um, but I think they're willing to. So the design of offices is hugely changing and we're doing a lot of work on accessibility. It's not just diversity and inclusion, but it's for the multi-senses. You know, the, the short of eyesight. So no longer maybe have a, um, a wall in toilets and cubicles where everything is just pure white or pure timber or whatever the design is, but you need to know where to push the door. You need to know if that door, that cubicle is, is um, open or, or closed, meaning it's, it's occupied or not. The wayfinding signage... Sorry to say, but I had a really terrible time finding even this room. Um, I think it's really important for people not to feel nervous and scared where they're going. So I think the whole piece on generational um, accessibility is going to be even more and more important in the environment.
2: I think that's um, you described that so articulately. And I think that that, um, design for the widest set of people um, just makes it better for everyone. So as you start designing for older people with the challenges that might come with that, it creates more sensitivity for everyone in the workplace. And I I really notice that in our public realm where we design for um, older people, actually it just makes it better for everyone, and this isn't about putting in grab rails everywhere and making things ugly. You can do that in really beautiful ways that actually make places more navigable for everybody, and our, our, I think it's a really interesting challenge. We, we see inside our offices the, the demands for design and design that works for people to, in, to occupy that space in different ways is, is really increasing. Um, Neurodiversity is a, is a big challenge for, for that, too. So, you know, quiet spaces and spaces where you can, where you can step back from the melee um, as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. well pick up that, that but, um, there's quite a lot of work in, in the firm at uh, master plan level, livable, livable cities, and, and uh, seeing the city through the eyes of a child. It's really interesting to see how there's different dimensions. And, and, a, and a bit that um, Christina mentioned about, about uh, around paradise, Mo- changing the urban realm so it's more humane, it's quieter. We find that acoustics. Um, we we did um, 34,000 surveys of occupiers in over 200 buildings, um, and noise was the biggest uh, complaint. And it's really something that noise and busyness can affect mental health, can affect stress levels in, enormously. So the the the, uh, the endeavour to make our cities more livable, greener, so you can cycle, you can you can have a healthier, you can run without having to you know, walk through streets to 50 minutes to a park. But the livable city really is really important The inclusion piece for everyone to and see the city through the eyes of different kinds of uh, individuals, not just through our, our own, well, my own privileged eyes, for example. Um, so there's a kind of piece there that's really, really critical. And it's fascinating to see how different perspectives of city, you know, taking yourselves out of your own shoes into someone else, um, the lone parent trying to struggle on the, on the underground, all those sort of things. The livable city is a really, really important thing. And that is a really good way that, that regions could differentiate from London. It's, it's so hard in London, it's so baked in on density and so forth. But uh, that's an interesting piece about differentiation.
0: Um, we have about three minutes left on the timer. So hopefully we have uh, time to squeeze in a, a question. I don't know if the, the questions have been coming in on Slido or, um, well, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's some. Ah, no, we do have some. Um, so do cities need their own brand to attract brands? And whose job is it to develop that brand? It's a great question. Um, who wants to pick that one up? <laughs> um, Jessica, I'll throw it to you.
2: Yes. <laughs> I do think cities need their own brand and um, they need to have a really strong sense of what they're about. And that's drawn from your history and your opportunity and the people in the city. Um, and I think it's a, you know, that's not something that's produced by a brand consultant and given to a city. It's got to come from the conversations that happen in a city in that broadest-based way that, that brings in young people, people who work there, people who, who come to the city as, as uh, adoptees to that place. So, you know, I think, I think it is really important and you can see those cities that do have a really strong sense of who they are and identity. Um, and that does create an attractor for for other brands, I think, and brands that want to be associated with with good brands. Um, we know that happens within within the business world. It it happens in places too, I think.
0: Mike, I see you nodding along yeah, there. I, I
1: think it's about identity as a word, uh, you know, Identity and um but also an, an authentic identity built of place, uh, and what the benefits it brings being in, in you know, Sheffield's you no. Know, Near, near great walking, whatever that particular identity is, to build on that identity, make it a brand. But it is, I think it's being authentic about that. It's
3: um, developed by word of mouth as well. And if somebody said they had a great experience somewhere, they're likely to tell somebody else, and then somebody else will tell somebody else, and suddenly you'll get a momentum going. So the question, the top question, is really on many different levels. I think the city and the government need to look at transportation and fares and realize what the pandemic world is all about in terms of, you know, the commuting patterns, changing things. I think there has to be also an infrastructure on the ground floor because the ground streetscape is where people on the humane scale walk and interact. And you have the competing nature of logistics and the dark stores now trying to come in and the, you know, less than 10 minute delivery of goods and then you have all of the scooters and mopeds that knock you down versus walking and cycling, and you have the cyclists of the, the talent that, that want to come in and cycle and walk to the work, but they want to see the brands. And they, So there's a competing macro to micro level uh, in answer to that question, it's, it's a fascinating one, but I think there's lots of, uh, of things at play here, so it's definitely um, city councils, government, but it's all up to each and one of us to, to participate in those questionnaires and those communities uh, that ask those, those questions and, and really be a part of the community that you want to be a part of.
0: Great. Well, I think that's an excellent point to, to wrap up on. So, um, it's, you know, it's been great having you all here. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And please uh, join me in giving a, a hand to our excellent panel. Thank you.